Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen. I need to do a huge shout out to those of you supporting the podcast over on Patreon. I literally can't do this without your help, so thank you so much. If you've been thinking about supporting, now is definitely the time. We've got some amazing things planned for the future that can't be done without your help. You can help by contributing as little as $1 a month. $5 a month gets you some bonus episodes and some other perks. I'm trying to make more and more perks available every day. Support today by visiting patreon.com slash fstop and listen. This is episode 60 with Mike Majul. Man, Mike is a kick-ass weather photographer and knife photographer. He pretty much does it all, uh, but he's known for his amazing photography of storms and tornadoes. Um, And uh, we had such an awesome time talking about that. And uh, we also touched on uh, the process of improvement. We talked about um, how you get into weather photography and storm photography, what things to look for. It was a really great conversation. So hopefully you'll enjoy. Well, thanks, uh, Mike Mejuel, for uh, coming on to F-Stop, Collaborate, and Listen. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. I've had uh, several former guests uh, recommend you. And, uh, of course, I immediately took a look at your stuff and was like, damn, that's some sick stuff. Well, do you have the right webpage up? Cause, uh... Yeah, it's uh, markadamus.com, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> man. Yeah, man, for sure. So um, <laughs> I figured it'd be really cool to just uh, start off the podcast with you just telling us a little bit about yourself, like where you live, what do you do for a living if it's not photography, and then maybe talk about like how you got into this uh, photography thing. Yeah, for sure, man. So uh, currently I'm based out of Dallas, Texas, and uh, I do photography full-time for a living now. That's everything from, uh, I teach workshops for landscape and night photography, but I also do a lot of advertising and marketing work that people don't know about. So I do that locally here, as well as like some weddings that, you know, I pick and choose on. But uh, most of the stuff that I do now is travel photography and assignment photography for different publications and get to travel around, teach, shoot. And uh, yeah, it's nothing that I ever thought that I would do for a living. Um, you know, I, I have an undergrad degree in criminal justice and a master's in strategic communications, and I've never once taken a photography class in my life. So to be able to do this for a living now is pretty cool. Um, and yeah, I mean, never really had a big passion for it when I was younger. I actually got my first camera when I was 15 and my dad gave it to me and he was not a photographer. He was just in the air force. So he had this camera that he, uh, carried around with him and when he gave it to me i was like it was, it was my 15th birthday so i was like all right sweet gonna get car keys or something and uh he gave me a camera <laughs> instead so uh i was kind of like what the hell you know i don't even have any interest in photography but um he told me that he never learned how to use it so my dad and i are you know uh, in a good way we've always been really competitive so when he said that he had no idea how to use it i automatically had a light bulb turn on i was like all right well i'm gonna learn how to use this <laughs> and uh, I was 15, didn't get those car keys, so I was pretty limited on what I could shoot. So I uh, photographed some very manly things in my parents' yard, like uh, dead ladybugs and flowers and <laughs> stuff like that, just kind of learn. And I had a nerdy little uh, notepad that I carried around with me, and I wrote down my settings. And even though I had no idea what the settings meant, I wrote them down. And then uh, I would save up my allowance and go – 
to Eckerd Drugstore, you know, the most prestigious, prestigious film developing place that you could go to. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> I'd get my film developed, pick it up next day, check it out and compare and see, okay, hey, I did this. This didn't work. Did this. This worked. And uh, over time, I, I grew and uh, just kind of taught myself, you know, all about exposure, composition, stuff like that. And, um, you know, geez, not to date myself, but like here we are like 18 years later. And I, uh, I feel pretty good now when I pick up a camera. I feel like I kind of somewhat know what I'm doing. So <laughs> that's that's where we're at. Um, how did you get into the full time aspect of it? Um, so it's actually kind of a funny story. I was actually a producer and a uh, graphic designer for a uh, commercial company back in 2010. And I had gotten fired. We won't go into details for that. Um, but I got fired from that job. Um, and I was doing photography on the weekends just to make some cash. So I decided, well, Hey, if there's ever the opportunity now to, uh, pursue photography full full speed. Now's the chance, and uh, so I did it. And uh, <clears throat> the first year, there were several times when you know I uh, was eating ramen noodles for dinner and breakfast and lunch, and <laughs> was worried about making uh, making ends meet and making rent and all that stuff. And you know, because the the first year, you know, doing photography full time, you know, for me at least, you know, no one's going to hire you to build a portfolio and no one's going to um, hire you without a portfolio. So you kind of have to work for free at times and to build up that portfolio. So that was kind of the stage I was at there. So I really had to um, shoot as much as I could for as little pay as you know I was offered and uh, build up my portfolio and experience that way. So 2010 is when I took the plunge full time to really you know say, hey, I'm gonna give this a roll. And did, do you have like um, family, like wife, kids, or like are you still were you single at the time, or how how did that all factor into it? Um, I was I had a girlfriend at the time. Um, still till uh, to the day now, I, I've got a girlfriend, it's a different girlfriend, but uh, no kids that I know of. But um, <laughs> yeah, so back, back then, uh, Back then, you know, it was just a girlfriend and I went into grad school just to have a backup plan. But uh, yeah, it was it was pretty nerve wracking, terrifying, exciting, thrilling, all those, you know, mixes or all those emotions like mixed up together. And um, yeah, so just kind of went for it. That's cool, man. So one of the things that you're well known for is um, like severe weather and tornado photography. So how did you how did you, how did that bite? Uh, how did that bug bite you? Oh man, that that bug kind of bit me when I was a little kid. I was I was always a kid um, at recess, you know, kind of laying on the picnic table, just staring at the clouds, and uh, everybody else is off playing, and I'm just you know looking at the clouds go by. So I was always fascinated by the sky, and to be honest, uh, I uh, I was originally scared of thunderstorms. And, uh, you know, to this day, still get a little nervous at times. <laughs> um, but, you know, when I get my camera, I had such a passion for uh, for severe weather that I was just like, well, you know what? Might as well just start photographing it as well. And I photographed lightning. It's actually pretty funny. I photographed lightning was like my first severe weather uh, 
thing to photograph. And I was still living at home, didn't have a car. So my parents had a two-story house and all the screens to this day on the second story are missing from their <laughs> windows because I would just go take them out and throw them into the attic and I would have, you know, an elevated spot to photograph from where I wasn't going to get struck by lightning. So I, uh, and to show you how much I knew when I first started, you know, I literally sat there. I didn't understand long exposure photography. So I just sat there and I just would try to, to click with my reflex when I saw the lightning strike and I would go, I would burn it through so much film so quickly. And I, I still have it today. The uh, first three frames I ever captured, they're just like these little bird fart lightning bolts, but I was ecstatic. <laughs> so, and this was uh, on film? This was on film. Yeah, man. I, I shot film for eight, nine years before I switched over to digital. So, oh my God, that's hilarious. Um, yeah, so I have literally just stacks of uh, film and slide uh, shots of storms that you know, I haven't even scanned in. Nobody, nobody even knows exist. They're just kind of put away in the closet right now. But uh, yeah, I mean, it all started when I was a little kid and kind of spilled over to when I got my camera and then, you know, the next year after I have my camera, I got a car and it was all downhill from there. I was like, well, if I, the storms aren't going to come to my parents' house where I have everything set up perfectly on a second story level. I'm going to go drive to them. And uh, that's how I got into storm chasing. And uh, it just, like I said, it was all downhill from there, you know, putting a couple thousand miles on the car every spring and, and chasing the uh, water vapor around the country. <laughs> well, that's one of the things I really wanted to talk to you about was storm chasing and, and, and storm photography because I've personally had a, a pretty strong interest in it, but I've never really done it just because I have like a, I guess like you, I have a very healthy fear of lightning. And every time I've tried to photograph uh, storms, like I've been in the storms and I'm like, I, I'm not going to risk my life for this. So like, how do you like if someone really wants to get into this like i'm i want to know like how do they do it like 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 down to research and knowing where to go and like everything so like hook us up dude <laughs> well uh you know the biggest thing i tell people all the time is if you want to go learn how to chase storms go with somebody who's been doing it and that's uh kind of how i learned i teamed up with a. Uh, Older gentleman that I knew locally here, and he kind of took me under his wing and taught me everything about storm chasing and um, and kind of showed me the way. And it was really cool. He uh, was a huge mentor when it comes to that. And uh, I also uh, went to, uh, I don't know if a lot of people will remember these, but, you know, the card catalog in the library <laughs> um, where you actually had to, like, go and look up numbers and names. And I would go through there and I would rent <clears throat> all the meteorology books that I could rent and uh, read about them and try to teach myself about, self about storms. And then I would go out and uh, totally screw everything up and come back and reassess and go back out again. And, uh, you know, you learn from experience. So going out with somebody who's done it and then also going out yourself um, is a great way. But I definitely recommend now going out with somebody who's done it. And there's also, believe it or not, storm chasing tours. Um, so you can literally go online, type in storm chasing tour, and there's a couple that will pull up and they have these vans that they load 12, 15 people into, and they take you out storm chasing for a week. So that's a good way to, to get into it. And, you know, I, I've had a lot of people say, Hey, well, I'm just going to go out and, you know, don't do that. That's, uh, you know, 
<clears throat> the tornado is the least of my worries now. There's hail, there's 100 mile an hour winds, there's hydroplaning, there's lightning, there's all <laughs> things that people don't think about when they go out storm chasing. And it's really easy to get yourself into a bind and get yourself into a position which uh, isn't safe. So like I said, I still, I've been doing this now for 18 years and, you know, there's still some white knuckled moments that I've had chasing tornadoes and storms where I really didn't think I was going to make it out of. So best bet if you want to get into it is just ask somebody um, that's been doing it and say, Hey, I want to go out and uh, you know, maybe uh, say, Hey, I'll pay for your gas and go that route or go one of the uh, storm chasing groups. Cool. So like, what are some of the things that you always have with you when you're doing storm chasing? Cause I, was looking at your website and I saw some pictures of some equipment in your truck. And I was like curious kind of how, what are the, some of the things that you always take with you to make sure that you maximize your ability to, I guess, photograph something amazing. Yeah. I mean, you know, the big thing is back when I first started chasing, you'd have to have like paper maps for every state and you'd have to have no weather radio and you'd have to have instruments on the car to understand, Hey, here's the boundaries. Here's where the wind's shifting, all that jazz. But now there's this really cool thing called the iPhone and <laughs> it's got everything. on. Um, so, you know, I really chase with uh, a giant, one of the really big, uh, like, I don't know what they're called, but like the large iPads. And I uh, tether that to my iPhone for data and I'll have like, visible satellites imagery up and I'll have um, the radars up and wind velocities and all these different uh, apps and websites that show all the scientific kind of nerdy side of chasing. And, uh, you know, you kind of have to learn how to analyze all those elements together to get an idea of where you're going to go and what the storm's going to do. And then uh, even after studying all that stuff for hours, you know, it's called storm chasing for a reason because usually you study that stuff for hours and then you drive the absolute wrong place and then you have to chase the storm where it's actually at. So, um, yeah, I mean, inside the car, it's radar, water vapor, water, uh, visible imagery, uh, all sorts of stuff like that. And then, you know, the best thing though is to have, you know, the knowledge to be able to just look outside your window and see what the clouds are doing and have an understanding for the atmosphere and then make your judgment from there. So a lot of the science stuff is great, but when it comes down to actually being on the storm, you have to know what you're looking at. Well, what are um, some of your favorite uh, websites that you use to predict some of that stuff and to show it? Um, so there is the basic one. It's called storm prediction center. It's, pretty much like a branch of like the national weather service and their main focus is to kind of give an outline of where severe weather is going to occur in the next three days in the continental U S. So, you know, the cool thing about it is it gives you a general idea and tells you what the risks are and they kind of give you a broken down, uh, write up about what the atmosphere is going to do or is about to do. Um, but you know, for instance, like, Tomorrow looks really good up in uh, North Dakota, but if you just go off of the Storm Prediction website, they have anywhere from the Canadian border all the way down to the South uh, South Dakota border, all the way to the Montana, North Dakota, and Minnesota, North Dakota border. So essentially, the whole state of North Dakota is outlined. So where do you go? You know, <laughs> right. like 
you just throw a bullseye and go, or, you know, go to the middle of that. Um, so that's why you have to like know more than just that. So, but like the storm prediction center, they've got their outlook on there and then you could use, um, different weather models, uh, to kind of forecast what is going to happen in the atmosphere in the next 24 to 48 hours. Uh, so those are, you know, not to get too nerdy on them, but those are like weather.cod, um, that has, uh, a really good amount of uh, model data on there and it breaks it down into the various models. So there's not just, to make things even more complicated, there's not just one model. There's like five different models, six different models out there that will show you what they think is going to happen based upon the current atmospheric conditions. And then you have to really kind of analyze all that stuff together and then put it with your own knowledge and then make a, a, a guess from there. So it's a... Uh, you know, storm chasing is a blast, but it could be the most frustrating freaking hobby out there because I've driven to Kansas from Dallas, gotten a Dairy Queen and came back. <laughs> um, so, you know, it, it's one of those things that, you know, it's super frustrating because some days you think you have everything figured out and then the storm pops up right in your backyard as you're 400 miles away. Right. So, right. Um, so yeah, man, it's just, uh, you know, it's a little bit of a uh, nerdy scientific, uh, research and then a lot of luck to be honest what was your most memorable storm that you were able to photograph oh man uh it's like picking a favorite kid <laughs> uh, they're all most, mo- by the way most parents probably could do that yeah exactly I, I, i'm not gonna ask my parents that one uh, <laughs> but yeah it's they're all so different and that's one of the things that i love about storm photography is um you know, when I, when I watch that storm form and then die, I know at the end of its life cycle, no one in this world is going to ever photograph that storm again. Like mm-hmm. I've got an image that's completely unique to what no, no one will ever capture again. Um, so I think there was a storm on May 24th of 2016 that I was able to, um, do two things really with um, one. It was like a tornado machine. I think it put down like 12 tornadoes in the span of like three hours. Um, and all of them were in rural areas, which is awesome. Um, seeing tornadoes go through cities or areas where people's lives are being affected. That's a totally different feeling. That's nothing I want to document. Um, and I have documented before, but uh, seeing them go through the plains and, you know, green fields of corn. That's awesome. Um, and this was that storm. So, um, there was one moment where, uh, we had three tornadoes on the ground at the same time. And it, uh, was one of the coolest things I've ever seen in my life. It was also really frustrating because I realized after I shot, I shot this amazing pano of all three tornadoes on the ground. And, uh, I did something to my camera, I guess, during the chase. And so they were all out of focus. Um, slightly out of focus like the i had focused uh on the horizon on some power lines way out there but the camera focused like 10 feet in front of me so i have these beautiful uh blades of grass like really tack sharp with like this like gaussian blur of three tornadoes behind it so uh no one will ever see that photograph unfortunately dude Um, i had something like that happened to me last last fall i was I photographed this uh, insane sunset from the top of this mountain and like I was so excited to shoot it that I like screwed up my focus and like and it was a big pano like you said like you were doing and 
two of the th- two of the, like the six shots were out of focus, so I had to like basically only use half of it. It was so frustrating. Yeah, man, that's you know that's the thing that makes you want to punch a baby. It's uh, <laughs> it's not. It, 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 you feel like you're doing everything right, and then somehow it comes and bites you in the butt. So, uh, but yeah, that's, especially that's cool. if you photograph as much as we do, it's like, why? How is this possible? Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's like I know my stuff. I think I know my stuff, but. <laughs> whatever um so yeah that storm had that moment which you know it was cool to see unfortunately the photograph will never be put out there um but i did get a really cool photograph that i've been wanting to do for about seven years and uh i got a shot it's called beauty and the beast and it's uh my friend elizabeth she came out chasing with me for i think five days and uh we had talked about, and I talked about it in the past. Like I was always wanted to getting a shot or to get a shot of like someone standing out in the middle of a field and watching this beautiful tornado, um, you know, kind of oh, sweep yeah. on by. And uh, I did it with another buddy of mine, and you know, it worked out nice. We didn't have a tornado, and uh, no offense to my buddy Barrett, but Elizabeth's a little bit more uh, visually appealing onto the photograph. So she came on out and. Uh, we had her put on a dress and, you know, all the right elements had to come together for this shot. You know, I didn't want to photograph somebody looking at a tornado as it's going through a city, destroying people's lives. You know, we had to have the right light. We had to have the right escape route. We had to have the right motion. Um, we had to have the right foreground. And, uh, we had about, I don't know, it was about a, maybe a minute, 30 seconds to get this image and. Uh, she threw on her dress and ran out into this field full of, I'm pretty sure like chiggers and takes and all that stuff. Like <laughs> she ran out there like a champ and, and, uh, I rattled off, I think it was like 13 frames. And this is still when I didn't realize my camera was out of focus and all, but one of them, uh, came out slightly soft. And so I got one shot of her, nailed it with her in, nice and focus and, uh, I think I shot it like f five point six. I have kind of a shallow depth of field. The tornado looking kind of dreamy off in the field, and uh, yeah, that was pretty cool to have that shot come out from that. And uh, you know, just to see you know a buttload of tornadoes that day as well, um, doing no damage. That was great. So that's that. That probably takes the cake as far as favorite storm. Hell yeah! I bet you had a lot of people that uh, told, accused you of that being a composite. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of people said, oh, it's composite. And then it was actually really funny. We had uh, Inside Edition call us up and like, hey, we really want to interview you guys. And, you know, I've dealt with, you know, the media before and all that stuff. So I'm like, all right, well, here's the rules. Like, you're not going to sensationalize this. Like, I want you to tell a story of how we work together, make this happen. And it was a shot that was a long time in the making. And like, yeah, yeah, cool, cool. And so they did the interview and... You know, from the interview, I was like, wow, this actually sounds like everything I wanted to be told about the image. And so next day it aired and I was like, all right, I'll tune in. And as soon as it uh, comes on, they're like, uh, a model in a tornado. How dare the photograph uh, risk or the photographer risk the model's life in front of this natural disaster. And I was like, all right, click turning you off. That was a fail. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So that kind of was a bummer with that whole deal. Um, but just funny how, uh, how things work. Yeah, man, that's too bad because like, I don't know why the media does that sometimes and it's not all the times, but I, I had a similar experience. I got interviewed. I used to, 
I used to write these articles talking about um, all of the mountaineering deaths in Colorado because um, I do a lot of mountain climbing and I don't know. I was just, oh, cool. I was just really interested in it and and I wanted to like process um, people dying in the mountains that I want to climb through writing. Yeah. And that's kind of what I did. So, and I inevitably I got interviewed by a bunch of newspapers and stuff over the years, and like every single time they like. I don't know. They like just twist your words and make you sound like a weirdo. It's, it's, uh, it's frustrating. I think they feel like your story isn't cool enough as is. So they got to make it a little bit more, uh, uh, exciting. And then that exciting twist makes you sound like a complete idiot. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, Oh, thanks. I mean, it sounds good for your viewers, but it makes me sound like a total moron. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> thanks. Media. It sucks. It sucks. <laughs> If you guys are listening, please come back and interview me the correct way. Thanks. Well, it sounds like they interviewed you well. They just twisted the story. Yeah, I mean, like I said, the interview was great. The questions were awesome. Um, but the final product really was uh, kind of a slap in the face. And, may, yeah, just was uh, not what I was expecting. Uh, that's too bad. Well, I want to s- talk a little bit more about uh, storms and stuff like that. So, um, one of my favorite cloud formations that I love to see, but I've never had the opportunity to do a great job of photographing it is like those, um, and I'm going to butcher it, but it's like the Mammatus or is it Mamatus. Mamatus? Yeah, Mamatus. the Mamatus clouds. Yeah. How, how do those, like, how do you predict when those are going to show up? Because I think they look super badass. Yeah, no, they're awesome clouds, man. They're they're really fun. They could, uh, if you have a good foreground, they could just kind of give this really cool, like eerie feeling to the scene. Um, so those are typically found on the backside of severe storms. Uh, kind of, you have like what's called the anvil of the storm. So if you remember, like the old school, like uh, Wiley Coyote Roadrunner anvil, you know, yeah. that's <clears throat> kind of what a storm looks like from the side. And on the back side of it uh, is usually where you find those Mamatis clouds. So if you ever get like a really strong storm, uh, most of the time on the backside, you'll find Mamatis clouds. And uh, I usually sometimes will actually peel off of a storm uh, if it's getting towards sunset and go drive through it or, or south and around it um, and go to the backside because they'll light up like nice and pink and orange and all that stuff. So some of my favorite clouds to photograph. As yeah. Well. I've, I've always really wanted to get some epic light on those kind of cloud formations, but I've never been able to pull it off. I've just never been in the right place at the right time, I guess. Yeah. It's so much luck. You know, I mean, <clears throat> you can drive to the backside of a storm and then you have a low cloud deck too, that just cuts off your visibility of anything higher elevation or altitude. And then you're kind of skunked that way and not all of them will produce them either. So it's just, it's such a crapshoot when it comes to storm photography. Sometimes you'll have an awesome storm and then 20 minutes later it's, you know, garbage. And sometimes you get one that lasts for hours. And sometimes you get, like I said, you get a, a suntan and a dairy queen. <laughs> Dude, I, I'm laughing because uh, so much of landscape photography is, is that way. I feel like you, you, you know, especially if you have a full-time job, like you're trying to maximize your opportunities and you, you know, like if there's a specific scene you're trying to get and it doesn't look like there's going to be the conditions that you want, you just don't go. And, um, yeah, it's just so hard. I, I think a lot of us deal, deal with that conundrum as photographers. 
Yeah, man. I mean, it's always <clears throat> you got to play to win the game kind of mentality. And um, I could guarantee you every time I haven't gone out to shoot, something awesome <laughs> has happened. And about 75% of the time I have gone out to shoot, I should have uh, been sitting on my couch. But, you know, you, that's, I think, what makes it so rewarding when you capture that awesome shot that you've been striving for is you realize all the times that mm-hmm. you failed and all the times that you get skunked by the weather or, you know, you had the wrong foreground, the wrong timing, whatever. Um, when you do get those images that are the, the you know, the wall hangers, it's all everything in the past, all that effort's totally yeah, worthwhile. No doubt, no doubt. So you've been at this for about, I mean, seriously, for about almost 10 years now. So um, I read something on your website that kind of intrigued me about um, improving as a photographer. And, um, you know, I kind of wanted to pick your brain about what it is about um, the process of improvement from your perspective that that is so interesting as a photographer and, and maybe what, what has been your approach and what do you tell, tell other photographers about that? Um, I mean, you know, I, I think it's pretty simple, honestly, like, you know, I, I've been doing this for a while now and I still consider myself uh, growing um, and learning and uh, not, you know, people, my friends will joke around and be like, Oh yeah, you finally made it. And I'm like, no, not even close. Like, not even like you, I think once you get the mentality in your head that you've made it or that you're a quote unquote pro or, um, you know, you have nothing else to learn. That's, that's your downfall. That's when you're going to, you're going to crash and burn really quickly. So, um, you know, always have the mentality that there's always room to grow always, whether it's in your post-processing, your compositions, your technical aspects, whatever, there's always room to grow. Um, don't ever let yourself have that mentality that uh, you have nowhere else to grow um, and that you are quote unquote perfect. Cause like I said, you're going to crash and burn. I've seen that happen to other photographers that I know. So, um, you know, the other, going back to learning is like, there's always room to learn and you're always going to learn off of one another. Um, I've taught in death Valley national park so many times and I'll never forget that uh, one of my last times I was out there, I had, uh, a woman on my on my workshop that didn't even know how to put her camera battery in the camera, and we were out on uh, on on uh, the salt flats down there, and I remember looking at her camera after she had set up a composition, and I was like, "Holy crap! I have never seen that comp me all in the entire time that I've been out here. I've never seen something like what you shot here," and. She just kind of laughed and she's like, you know, you're just saying that. I was like, actually, no, as soon as you're done there, I'm going to get the same shot. <laughs> uh, and I, I was like, yeah, I'm going to totally give you credit and say that you inspired me for this. But, you know, that's the thing is like, you're always learning. You can always learn off of one another, whether that person next to you has had the camera in their hand for five minutes or has been around photography for 50 years. You're always going to learn and grow. Um and always inspire one another and, and help each other out. You know, I've had a lot of people in my career really come around and help me out. And uh, I truly believe you got to pay that forward too. Um, I'll never forget. I had a guy I shot um, pro sports for about five, six years. And my first NHL game that I shot, 
he uh, realized I was in the wrong spot and not just the wrong spot, but like a very wrong spot to be shooting. And uh, he came and kind of, told me what I was doing wrong and took me under his wing and then showed me everything that I needed to know. And, uh, to this day, we're still really good friends and, you know, we help one another out on occasion still. And, um, if it weren't for him, that second game that I would have shot there, I probably would have been banned from the arena. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, so yeah, man, always, you know, always encourage each other and help each other out. You know, the photography world is a, you know, there's so many photographers out there now. It's just you can't count count them, but it's still a very small community. So, um, you know, helping people out, uh, it, I believe, it, you know, it comes around or comes back around to you as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I actually really enjoy shooting with people that haven't been doing it for very long because, like you said, I think you can pick up stuff from them because they have like that beginner's mind, like they're seeing everything for the first time. Whereas like, you know, you might try to, you might try to approach a scene almost the same way every time. Like, Oh, I'm going to not seeing you, but uh, like photographers in general, like, Oh, I'm going to use a wide angle lens. I'm going to get low to the ground. I'm going to, you know, shoot at F 16 or something. And like, and then you see someone who sees it totally differently. And like, I don't know. It's just, that's one of the coolest parts about, landscape photography especially is i feel like every time you go out with someone else like you can learn something or see the world differently and i think i think that's really cool exactly and you know a lot of the uh, guys that are new to it you know they also have they don't have that pressure that you put on yourself like okay i've got to get something great or i've got to really nail this they kind of go out there and they also have that all right you know what if i don't get anything you know what i'm gonna sit here and i'm gonna at least take it in um kind of mentality and um, I had a workshop participant who did that to me and, you know, we walked all the way out to the sand dunes uh, in, in Death Valley and he sat on top of one of the dunes and he wouldn't take his camera out. And I was a little worried. I was like, all right, this guy's going to collapse because we just hiked, you know, a mile <laughs> and a half in the desert. And uh, he told me that, you know, the, the image that he was going to take with his eyes was a hell lot better than any, any image he would ever take on the camera. And it kind of reminded me just to, like, you know, take it in for a little while and, and kind of clear your mind and, and then really see what you're dealing with rather than see it by through a viewfinder first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know. I think, I don't know. I think a lot of us suffer from that. Like we get to a, a location and, and we're so busy trying to find a composition that we don't just take the time to really experience a place because I feel like, if you take that extra time to really like connect with a place, it opens up a whole other world of, of compositions and things that you might otherwise not see. And it helps you kind of tell a story about what's going on at that place. Exactly. You know, you got to really take it in. And I've seen a lot of really, really cool things in my life. And unfortunately I don't remember a lot of them because I was too busy looking through viewfinder. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so now, you know, I really remind myself to, um, to kind of take things in, you know, and, and see it as it is and then work from there, not just put on a lens and go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Um, uh, let's, uh, shift gears a little bit. Um, I got like three or four more questions for you. Um, so my first question is, uh, Based on the name of the podcast, F-Stop, Collaborate, and Listen, uh, what kind of advice do you have for other uh, photographers? 
Um, I think, you know, just kind of like it says, F stop, collaborate and listen, you know, the, talk to each other, um, be inspired off of each other. Um, you know, there seems to be this mentality among some photographers that photography is kind of an ego boosting competition. Um, it's not, we're all out there to have fun. We're all out there to take great photographs. Um, don't put yourself to that level. Talk to anybody and everybody next to you and around you and, you don't know how you're going to inspire them or, or change their lives. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's great meeting other photographers out there. Sure. You have that little competitiveness and yeah, where you want to get the better shot, but is that what really like, is that what photography is really about? Or is it about enjoying what you are photographing and then creating a great image? Um, and you know, like I said, I, I've met, so many great photographers who have inspired me uh, to, you know, kind of mold my work. And as people all the time say, or people, sorry, ask me all the time saying, Hey, how do you create this? How do you create that? You know, I want my image to look like yours. Um, don't, don't have that mentality. Um, be, be inspired. Um, you know, if, if somebody's work or somebody's work inspires you and motivates you to grow, don't try to duplicate their work because then you're not allowing yourself to be original. You know, look at like a handful of photographers work that, that inspires you and, and pick out the pieces that you like and you enjoy and you want to incorporate into your work and then make your own style from that. Um, that's, what's going to allow you to grow. So, you know, by talking to other photographers and meeting other photographers, um, you can expand your work, your creativity and, uh, and, and go from there. Yeah, man. I think that's, that's all good stuff. I, you when you're talking about the competition aspect of it and when you're out with other people, I had to, I had to laugh because I, um, I'm a little embarrassed about a story that I had from, uh, I think it was, was it back in February when that blood moon happened, January, February, I was, uh, this guy, this local guy that I've been connected with for a long time invited me to go shoot, um, down in Shiprock, New Mexico for the, the clips. And, uh, but he hadn't done a whole lot of night photography before. And I think he wanted, no, he was just being cool and wanted me to come. But I also think he wanted me to help him like with his settings and stuff. Cause I do a ton of night photography and, uh, you know, we got down there, we had a great time. I was, you know, giving him some pointers and, we were, you know, trying to find good compositions and stuff like that. And then when we got back, we processed our shots. And uh, the, the image we both came away with that we both liked the most um, was almost an identical photo. And I I had to laugh because he, I don't know, something he did, like some, some the way he shared it on social media, like it got a lot of attention. I think he like keyworded or tagged somebody or like sent it to someone on Twitter. He did something to where it got viral. And of course mine didn't. And I was like, at first I was like, God, that's, that's not fair. <laughs> but you know, it's just natural. I think sometimes for us to, to have those, like those gross human emotions. But I think in the end, I'm the story I'm trying to tell them. The moral of the story is like, let that stuff go. Like it's not, it's not really important. The experience is more important. Exactly. And you know, we all, like I said, we all have a little bit of that competitiveness in us, but at the end, you know, what is it really about? Is it about the photograph or is it about what you 
um, what you experienced while creating the photographs. Exactly. <laughs> well, cool, man. Um, so who are some other photographers that you would recommend for the podcast? Um, I would definitely check out this younger guy uh, named Aaron Rigsby. He is a uh, up-and-coming storm photographer. Uh, can't remember how old he is, so I don't want to quote him on that, but he's a younger guy, and I think he literally just kind of put everything in storage or sold it all and has hit the road to document as many storms as possible and do some landscapes and stuff like that. So uh, he'd be a good guy. Um, and then a former uh, workshop participant of mine. His name is Akash Thakar. I'm sorry, Akash, if I screwed that up. Um, But he is a uh, younger guy and he's, I think, 17 now, 18 maybe. Um, And he has done some incredible things as far as journalism goes. Uh, He's photographed so many different protests and uh, uh, different like war zones and stuff like that. So he would be a good one to check out as well. Cool, man. That's awesome. I'll have to Google that so I don't butcher butcher it. But uh, that's cool. That that's awesome. You had someone who was fourteen on your workshop. Yeah, he was fourteen. Showed up with his dad as his guide and or his supervisor, and uh, he uh, he totally killed it. He's one of those. Well, I don't want to call him a kid anymore, but back then he was one of those kids that just like really listens to every word and absorbs every word, and just in short. I think it was five days he was on the workshop because he grew so much and now he's just run with it and uh, is doing some incredible journalistic work. That's amazing, man. Well, cool. So I know you just uh, you just got back from uh, shooting the volcano in Hawaii for the, I think it's the Leolani uh, estates out there that are getting just destroyed by this volcano, yeah? Yeah, man, I was out there, uh, spent six days out there documenting uh, the eruption that's going on. And it was uh, in Lalani States, and then it's now made its way down to another uh, another residential area as well. Cool. Well, I was hoping um, for people that are um, uh, Patreon supporters, I think it'd be cool for you and I to talk a lot about your experience with that. Like, you know, what was it like to shoot that and... And, um, and like, cause I think I saw some of your Facebook posts, you were pretty, it was pretty emotional for you. So I look forward to talking, talking with you about that on the next, next recording. Um, yeah, for sure, man. Yeah. So, uh, what do you got coming up as far as workshops and stuff? Um, so I actually head back to Hawaii, uh, here in two weeks and I'll be back out there documenting the eruption, uh, for the first few days and then. Uh, I have a workshop out there as well. So teaching in Hawaii and then Big Bend National Park up to Glacier, then back over to Iceland and then up to Banff. So that'll wrap up this year. Damn, that's a, that sounds like a pretty amazing schedule to me. Yeah, it's uh, it's fun. It's busy. I'm just uh, I'm excited for all of them and to teach, but uh, just get me out of the airports and I'll be happy. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I hear you. I uh I love traveling, but I hate airports, man. Like they just suck the life out of me. Exactly, man. You know, the, the teaching part and all that, that's, that's such a thrill. But as soon as I get to the airport, it's like total change of faces and moods. <laughs> yeah, dude. Well, cool, man. Thanks. Uh, thanks so much for coming on and imparting your wisdom on storm chasing. Um, I, 
I, I really would like to try doing that sometime. So I, I, I love that you came on to talk about that. Thanks to Mike for taking time to visit with us. To find out more about Mike and see more of his amazing photography, visit MikeMezPhotography.com. You'll find links to topics we discussed and more in the show notes on my blog at MappingPhotography.com. And you can support us by writing a review about the podcast in the iTunes store. As people search for podcasts to listen to, it helps others discover the podcast. I'm guessing that's how a lot of you found it. Uh, thanks to Ryan Smith and Mark Handy for their awesome five-star comments and reviews. You can also support the show by making a monthly contribution through Patreon for as little as a dollar. Uh, you help, you know, pay for production costs, uh, help keep the show interesting, uh, help keep it going, help improve it. And for as little as $5 a month and higher, you gain access to bonus episodes. This week on Patreon, Mike and I discuss his experience of shooting the volcanic eruptions in Hawaii. And I thought it was a really great bonus episode, uh, so check that out. Thanks to our newest patrons, uh, Christopher Wyman and Sue Ryan. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much. If you want to drop me a line about the podcast with uh, suggestions or ideas, uh, please reach out to me via my website at mappingphotography.com. I'm looking for some suggestions uh, on couple of guests we could have on at the same time that have opposing views on a topic in photography. So I think that would be fun. So shoot those ideas over. You can uh, always follow me on Twitter and Instagram as Matt Payne Photo and on Facebook as Matt Payne Photography. Thanks for listening.